0: This message is from Living Rock Church, and we trust you'll be really equipped, envisioned, and encouraged as you listen today. What we've been really blessed with this year is to begin um, looking together at Mark's Gospel. And uh, we're going to continue that this morning. Um, I hope all our visitors will, um, will enjoy uh, hearing about uh, Mark's Gospel. It's one of the four books that was written to describe the life of Jesus. And uh, my title this morning is, What I Love About Jesus. Uh, it's not exhaustive. There's, there's a few things here. I won't be covering it all this morning. But um, as, as, as I've started looking at Mark's Gospel, I'm, I'm, I'm freshly appreciating... Um, first of all, how fantastic this this story is, this book is, this this description is. But also, um, how much is in here, and realizing that um, we will not cover it all. There's 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 a deep well of uh, fantastic stories and descriptions and principles we could take and and. Um, um, implications for our own lives that we can draw from Mark's gospel as we could from Matthew, Luke, or John, or or any of the other books of the Bible. But but, um, whilst we will cover some of those things when we're together like this on Sundays throughout this year, uh, there'll be many other things, and I guess this morning will be a good example of that, where where maybe there'll just be some seeds for us to think about. And I, I really hope that as well as what we appreciate when we're all together, you'll also feel inspired and encouraged to, to read a bit more yourself and to think about some of these things further. And, and, and as we go through the book, we're sort of doing the first three chapters this month. As we go through the book, something's behind me that isn't normally there. I think it's, uh, I think it's Tony's podium for later on. Yeah. As we go through the book, you'll see some of these seeds um, uh, start to flower a bit more and you'll see some of these principles um, repeated later in the book. So, so regard this morning as, um, as a little bit like that. I want to, to, to throw some things out for you that I hope will uh, both be good in themselves but also cause you to want to look further into these things. Here are some things that I love about Jesus. The first thing is I love the fact that Jesus came to evict the squatter. If you look at Mark 1, verse 15, it says, uh, Jesus after John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee preaching the good news of God. And these now are the first words we hear Jesus speaking in Mark's gospel. I, I always take great note of people's first words. These are Jesus' first words that Mark records. The time is fulfilled... And the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. The kingdom of God has come near. And so that opening statement, those opening words from Jesus, they really set the scene for the whole book. The kingdom of God has come near. And all that follows, as we've, as we've been looking at this month, is, is this urgent immediate story of how God's kingdom is coming and advancing and being established, and it comes with urgency and immediacy. And every time Jesus speaks to people or encounters people or or reaches out his hand and heals people or teaches people, it all has to do with the fact that Jesus has come to establish his kingdom. Psalm 24, if you just... If you have a Bible, I'd just like to have a look at Psalm 24 and verse 1. It says, the earth is the Lord's. Well, in this version, it says, the earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants, belong to the Lord. The earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants, belong to the Lord. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16 says that by Christ everything was created in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. The earth is the Lord's. Everything, all inhabitants, even powers, dominions, and we'll come on to some of those things in a minute. All of those things belong to the Lord, but ever since man fell, in the book of Genesis, when Adam and Eve sinned and man fell, ever since then, a squatter moved in. Our... um, Our legal eagle, Andrew, um, would tell you that a squatter is somebody who has has tried to take possession or to unlawfully occupy someone else's property. The earth is the Lord's. And a squatter, our enemy, Jesus, Jesus calls him Satan. An enemy is moved in to try and Um, try and occupy what is not legally his. And this squatter is trying to gain control and gain possession of something he has no rights to. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. All inhabitants belong to the Lord, created by Christ, through Christ, and for Christ. And if the enemy is a squatter, then Jesus has come... To put things right. To turn things upside down in order to get them the right way up. Jesus has come to bring his kingdom. And and that word simply means his rule, his reign, his peace, his government, his good order. Jesus has come to bring his kingdom. He says the time has come, the kingdom of God is near. He's come to reclaim our lives. He's come to reorder everything so that everything begins to function the way he originally intended. What I love about Jesus is that he's come to put things right. The kingdom has come. And you and I belong to him. And he's putting things right in our lives. And he's sorting things out. And he's dealing with injustices and he's restoring hope, and he's, he's reclaiming what is rightfully his. And I want to um, encourage you this morning and to say, let him take you in his grip and bring his kingdom into your life. Let him do it. What I love about Jesus is that he makes us whole. Have a look back in Mark, chapter 1. I'm just gonna, I've got a few points, and, and, and I'm just going to read a little bit of Mark, these first three chapters, to illustrate each point. He makes us whole. He comes to evict the squatter and make us whole. Have a look at ver- chapter 1, verse 32. Mark 1, verse 32. When evening came, after the sun had set, they began bringing to him all those who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. The whole town was assembled at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases, and he drove out many demons. But he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Jesus came to evict the squatter, as I've put it, and to liberate us, to free us, to set us free from all his influences. And, and this squatter, this enemy, this, 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 um, the Bible calls him the liar. He's real. He's as real as Jesus. He's not as powerful as Jesus, but he's real. The squatter takes up his illegal residence, his illegal occupancy, By tempting people to sin, by attacking people's bodies, and by messing with their their minds and their spirits. But Jesus came to deal with all those things, to forgive sins, to heal diseases, and to drive out spirits and demons. Because God created us to be whole. Whole in our relationship with Him, whole in our bodies, whole in our spirits, spirit, soul, and body. God came for all of us, the whole of us, to make the whole of us whole. He comes to restore wholeness and He's he's evicting the squatter on every front. Now we know that He forgives sin and heals all our diseases, and we talk about that a lot. Psalm 103 verse 3 says he, heals all, he forgives all our sins and he heals all our diseases. And, and one thing you can't fail to have noticed, and by the way, I love the, I love the study we did in the groups this week, looking through Mark 1 to 3. One thing you can't fail to notice is that over and over again, he is healing people and forgiving sins. The Galileans are called to repent. The, the paralytic that's lowered through the ceiling, we'll talk about that in a moment, is forgiven. forgiven. Simon's mother-in-law is healed. Many in Capernaum are healed. The the leper is cleansed. The paralytic walks. The paralyzed, withered hand is restored. Multitudes on the beach while he's sitting in the boat are healed. And we're familiar with this. Jesus forgives sin and he heals diseases. Thank God for that. Thank God for the testimonies in in our church of millions of sins forgiven And thousands of healings in our body. And we're believing him for more and more and more. But perhaps we're less familiar with his assault on the spirit world. But you can't read these chapters again without appreciating that every time it speaks of healing the sick, it talks about driving out demons. Because he came for the whole man. And this is an essential, urgent priority of Jesus is to drive out every influence that the squatter has on men's lives. So we find him in these chapters casting out demons, dealing with unclean spirits. The man in the synagogue is is released from his oppression. Many demon-possessed in Capernaum are set free. Those throughout Galilee, those on the beach and back home in Capernaum. If you read the chapters, please do it in your own time you'll find he's casting out, driving out demons, and it goes hand-in-hand hand with healing the sick. If you just turn to chapter 3 and verse 12, I beg your pardon, um, verse... Yes, chapter 3, verse uh, 13, I beg your pardon. We'll come back to this in just a moment. It says, um, Then Jesus went up on the mountain side." And he summoned those he wanted and they came to him and he appointed twelve and he also named them apostles. Now listen to the job description of these twelve. There's three things mentioned. Number one, to be with him. Number two, to send them out to preach. Number three, to have authority to drive out demons. It's fundamental it's essential. It's not, a, um, it's not a side issue. And Mark leaves us in no doubt that Jesus is interested in all of us. The whole man, body, soul, spirit. The whole community, body, soul, and spirit. I, I believe we'll see much more of this. And just to say now, don't be alarmed. It's proper biblical ministry. It's a vital aspect of kingdom advance. What I love about Jesus is that he makes us whole. He restores us in body, soul, and spirit. He forgives sins. He heals diseases. And he sets us free from every unclean influence. And today, he wants you and I to be whole, healthy, and at home. Welcome home. what I love about Jesus is that he knows what we really need. And um, it, it's usually far more than we ask for. And there's just three little instances in, in, in these three chapters that I, that I find fascinating. Um, so I'm just going to turn you to them. First of all, there's, there's the... Um, well, let's read the story of the leper in um, chapter 1, verse 40. Chris has touched on this, and... and um, I really appreciated how Chris described this last week. Chapter 1, verse 40 says, Then a man with a serious skin disease came to him, and on his knees he begged him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. I am willing, he told him. Be made clean, and immediately the disease left him, and he was healed. Jesus had many ways of healing people. Some occasions, he he spits in dirt and makes mud and puts it on people's eyes, which is a little strange. Often, he simply speaks the word. But this man is a leper. And if you know anything of the, of the times, you'll know the lepers were complete outcasts. They had to live beyond the city limits and, and nobody came near them, let alone touched them. And rather than speak the word and healing him, Jesus gives him what the man really needs. He touches him. He touches him, he receives him, he accepts him. And it's, it's far more than the healing, which he does receive, It's the embrace. It's the acceptance. It's the fact that Jesus is is willing not only to heal him, but to embrace him and touch him and restore him in that way. I love that. It's something I love about Jesus. He gives us what we need, not just what we ask for. In fact, he gives us what we really need, even if we wouldn't know how to express it. I love the fact that when he calls the disciples, I don't, it, it doesn't tell us anything about them asking him for anything, but I imagine that... they're. I wonder whether they thought when Jesus said, follow me, he was sort of inviting them on a gap year. <laughs> a little season off from fishing. You know, change of scenery for a while. I'll make you fish... I'm going to learn a new skill, fishing men. So, so maybe, I, I'm, I'm imagining this, maybe what they're asking for is, is sort of change for a while, but Jesus gives them what they need, which is a whole purpose in life. Jesus speaks destiny into them, and it's far more than they were asking for, I'm sure. When he says, follow me, can you, can you imagine how limited their concept of what that might be involved? Their whole life was changed from that moment. What they really needed, a sense of purpose, a reason for living, a, 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 a purpose in life, that's what Jesus gave them. Then we've got the paralytic who's lowered through the roof in uh, chapter 2, beginning of chapter 2. Great story. We'll, we'll come back to that again in a moment. But, um, but he's lowered through the roof to receive healing. Healing. What does he get, first of all? He gets forgiven. He did need healing, but what he really needed was forgiveness. I love that Jesus knows what we really need. You may be sitting here today and you may not even really know Jesus, but I want to say he knows you and he knows what you really need. Maybe you do need healing. Maybe you do need to be embraced. Maybe you need to know God has purpose for your life. I love that he knows what we need. I, know, I love that he, he hears our prayers and he knows our unsaid cries and desires and he ministers to the inner man and he touches where it really matters and he hits the nail on the head and he puts the finger on the root issues. And I want to encourage you today to trust yourself to him because you will find he meets your deepest need. I love the fact that Jesus wants us to break through. Listen to this story. This is this this one we just referred to. Chapter two. When he entered Capernaum, which is his hometown, again, after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And so, so many people gathered together um, that there there was no more room, not even in the doorway. And he was speaking the message to them. And then they came to him, bringing a paralytic, carried by four men. Since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above where he was. And when they'd broken through, when they'd broken through, they lowered the stretcher on which the paralytic was lying. Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. And then he goes on and he also heals him, and it's it's a wonderful story. Nothing was going to stop these four friends they didn't give up when they saw a crowd. There's a boldness, there's a tenacity, there's a courage and a, a perseverance and a conviction. They will not be put off. They were going to get their friend to Jesus and nothing was going to stop them. And Jesus loves it. He, he, I, I imagine Jesus um, seeing them at suddenly, um, suddenly something's it's like that thing behind me. Something, suddenly there's something there that wasn't there before. There's a man on a mat and, and there's some, he's on pulleys. or I don't know how they did it. And, and I think Jesus sort of follows the, the, the ropes up and there's a gaping hole in the ceiling and there's four faces looking through it. We got him to Jesus. And I just think Jesus loves that. He loves it when we break through he loved the fact that these friends were not going to let anything stop them. And they broke through. And when he, it says when he saw their faith, he saw something. Something was evident from these actions of these guys. It's the same with the, the woman who's been bleeding for 13 years and she pushes through the crowd because she says, if I can just touch the edge of his garment, I will be healed. Yeah. Nothing's going to stop her. It's the same with little Zacchaeus, climbing up the tree because he was a small man, and finding a vantage point from where he could, he, could, he could see Jesus as Jesus walked past, and Jesus calls to him, doesn't he, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house tonight. Jesus loves it when we break through. And I don't know what your area of, of breakthrough that's that's needed, that's coming, that's Maybe taking some time. I don't know what it is. It may be concerning family or friends or, or your job or, 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 um, or your finances or something, or, or your prayer life, or, or to, see, to see yourself moving in more of the things God has for you. I don't know what it is, but I believe Jesus is urging you on. I maybe even stood there thinking, I wonder if any of them will break open the ceiling and come to me that way. Maybe he's in the crowd thinking, I wonder if anybody's got what it takes to press through and just touch me. Maybe he is. But Jesus is urging us on because he loves it when we break through, when, you're, when you've got enough determination and courage and boldness and, and perseverance not to be put off, to Break through the ceiling to reach the goal, to fulfill that dream and that longing and to become all he's made you to be. If you're waiting for the breakthrough, you're in great company. I am. Who's waiting for breakthrough of some sort? We're in great company. And sometimes, you know, these times are a time of proving Sometimes I think he wants to know how badly we want it. What price will we pay for the breakthrough? Obstacles are there sometimes to enable us to grow and show our perseverance and show how much we really want or need something. What I love about Jesus is that he wants you and me and us to break through And today, I I sense that he's urging us on. Press through against every obstacle and emerge right in front of Jesus. I love that Jesus loves new wineskins. Do you remember that little little passage? It's it's an odd passage, isn't it, in chapter 2? Let's just read this. Chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. Sorry, I beg your pardon. Chapter, chapter 2, verse 22. It's where Jesus is... It, the, the Pharisees have come and, and asked him... Um, um, or rather, people have come and asked him why it is that the Pharisees are fasting and John's disciples are fasting, but Jesus' disciples and followers weren't fasting. And he, we won't go into all of that. That's something for you to look at as a out. Have a look at that, what Jesus says about that. But in the course of explaining it, he says this... No one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, because, because new wine is still moving, it's still fizzing, it's still fermenting, it's changing its structure. New wine does that until it settles. So, so he's saying nobody puts new wine that's still on the move into old wineskins that might be wrinkled, and these would have been leather things, skin things, I presume... That, that might be cracked. Nobody puts new wine that's still on the move into an old wineskin because it will break the old wineskin. Instead, he says, otherwise the wine will burst the skins and the wine will be lost as well as the skins. But new wine is for fresh or new wineskins. And there's a principle in here, isn't there, which, which of course, I realise um, we understand Well, New wine needs new wineskin. New moves of God need new structures to put them in. And and the fact is, since God is always pouring out new wine, since God is always coming with fresh moves, it tells me he loves change. Because if every fresh move of God, if every fresh um, infilling of the Spirit and the pouring out of, of God's goodness amongst us, if all of those things require something new to contain them... God must love change. God has no qualms about new things. He's not precious about the past. In fact, for God, there is no past. I am. The same yesterday, today, forever. God doesn't see things past, present, and future. That's our timescales. He doesn't care for old ways. When people talk about the good old days... I don't think he knows what they mean. What are the good old days? These are the good days. And so we mustn't hold on to old things when Jesus wants us to embrace new things. We mustn't resist change. He's the God of newness. Sometimes we have to ditch the old ways that don't work anymore and kill the sacred cows and let God take us into new things. And stay malleable and flexible and responsive. Acts chapter 2, the Spirit is poured out. And suddenly we find this group of people who are about to receive new wine, as it were, are not meeting in the temple. He's directed them to the room in a house. It ushers in a whole new way of doing things. These are not building-bound people. In fact, as soon as the Spirit comes and fills them, they spill out of the house onto the street. This new wine needed a new container, and and I pray that we will know. He will show us. He will show me. He'll show you. He'll show us everything that needs to change in in order for us to receive and embrace the mighty outcome pouring of the spirit that he most certainly has for us Amen God has spoken about that in in prophetic word in the last couple of weeks hasn't he, about out of our comfort zones etc, that's part of what this is about I love the fact that Jesus loves, if, if you feel if you feel attached to things that are historic and old as if there's something sacred about them as if God's more in the old than the new shake that off He's not. He loves new wineskins. i just got a couple more things to say. I love that Jesus hates religion. Probably didn't expect me to say that. Jesus hates religion. And I love that. I love that he hates religion. He didn't come to start a new religion. He came to establish a new relationship with people. He's not into religion. Religion has to do with rules and regulations and rituals. Jesus is into relationship, which is about reality, authenticity, about Jesus, the real deal. And that's why you find not only does he forgive sin and heal disease and drive out demons, the other sort of fourth prong of his assault on the squatter is to confront religion and hypocrisy wherever he finds it. And probably the, 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 the most starkest example of that uh, is in chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. I mean, it, it's so it's so ridiculous what happens. It says, now, he entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a paralysed hand. And in order to accuse him... They were watching him closely to see whether he would, I was just concerned that was my phone actually, it's not, is it? Um, they, were, they were watching him closely, because I've got a real Bible, I don't need my phone at this point, you see. Just, <laughs> just as an aside, that's an in-joke. He entered the synagogue and, and a man was there who had a paralyzed hand. And in order to accuse him, they were watching him closely to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath. That's religious thinking. And he told the man with the paralyzed hand, Stand before us. Then he said to them, He says to all these religious critics, Is it lawful? Great, great question, Jesus. I love this. Is it lawful on the Sabbath? to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill. But they were silent. And after looking around at them with anger and sorrow, at the hardness of their hearts, he told the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and immediately his hand was restored. And immediately the Pharisees, went out and started plotting with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. That's a religious attitude. How ridiculous. He healed a man. And all they're concerned about is which day of the week it is. Elsewhere he says the Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And um, elsewhere he he deals with that issue of fasting. And, And Jesus tries to just bring reality into the situation. He establishes his kingdom by dealing with every action of the squatter and one of them is to get men bogged down in religion where the focus is on irrelevant things that don't really matter, that distract us from the real deal which is Jesus and the fact that he's alive and living and powerful amongst us here and now, every day of the week. What I love about Jesus is that he hates religion. I just want to urge you Don't try and reach him religiously. Be real. Be yourself. You don't need any special clothes. You don't need any special prayers. You don't need to talk to him in a special voice. Just call out to him with all your heart. Don't let the squatter distract you and shift your focus into the irrelevant details and away from God's big picture. And the last thing, not the last thing, the last thing in my message that I love about Jesus, not the last thing I love about Jesus, but the last thing to mention today, I love that Jesus wants me on his team. Have a look uh, look back at um, chapter 3, verse verse 7. Jesus departed with his disciples to the sea, and a great multitude, or a great crowd, followed from Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, beyond the Jordan, and around Tyre and Sidon. This is a big crowd of people from all sorts of places. Way bigger than this crowd, I'm guessing. The great multitude came to him because they heard about everything he was doing. If we want a great multitude, we better tell people what he's doing. He's doing great things amongst us. Then he told his disciples to have a small boat. I love that. Great multitude, small boat. He wasn't, um, he wasn't a big ministry. I need a big boat. Because I got big multitudes. There was a great multitude, and he told them to have a small boat ready for him so the crowd would not crush him. And since he'd healed many, all who had diseases were pressing towards him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, those possessed fell down before him and cried out, you're the son of God. And he would strongly warn them not to make him known. Then he went up the mountain and summoned those he wanted and they came to him. Jesus loved the crowds. He loved the multitudes. He was very at home amongst big crowds of people. In fact, I looked up the word crowds. Mark uses that word nearly 40 times. So two or three times a chapter, Mark is referring to the crowds. There were crowds everywhere Jesus went, but nobody got lost in the crowd. He ministered to people individually because he knows our needs, because he wants us whole. He ministered to to the crowds one person at a time. And don't fear that you'll be crowded out Don't fear you won't get noticed by Jesus in a crowd. Even in the crowd, he ministers to individuals. He won't let you be crowded out. And then he goes on the mountain and he summons to him or he calls to him those he wanted. If you're a Christian, it's because you heard him calling you, which was because he wants you. He wants you on his team, on Team Jesus you were summoned, you were called because he wanted you you were hand picked chosen needed, valued he loves you as you are I love the fact that he wants me on his team he loves me and he likes me and I just want to finish by saying to you this morning is he calling you? is he summoning you? I believe he wants you. I believe he loves you. I believe he's for you. I believe I know he knows all your need. It's a very brave thing to respond to the call of Jesus. It may seem very um, contrary to the world. It's not religion. It's a relationship he wants to call you into. He has come to evict the squatter and to make you and I whole in every way, body, soul, and spirit. He knows what we really need, not just the things we might think we need, say we need, but he knows what you really need. He really wants us to break through. He urges us on, come on, break through, break through press through, don't be put off, don't let the obstacles don't let people, what people might think of you don't let that put you off, break through he wants to pour out new things wants us to be ready for that he wants us to stay focused, not distracted by religion and he wants us on his team and Lord I want to pray this morning that we will consider these things that, Lord, we will be those who this morning know what it is to break through. I want to pray, Lord, that even this morning you will will heal bodies, forgive sins, cleanse us, and free us totally. I want to pray, Lord, that many this morning will hear you calling them. For you love us. You came for us. You want to restore us. You want uh, us to come and know your forgiveness and to know what it is to come home and be whole. I pray that this morning that will be happening right across this gathering, Lord. Holy Spirit, you will move and minister to people now, Lord, I pray. Amen. 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 William's going to come with the musicians and, and lead us in as we worship the Lord together. But um, just while they're assembling, I just, just to say a couple more things. If you... I want to invite you to receive Jesus today and to respond to his call. You may need to weigh that up to think about that, but um, there's, there's never a better day than today. I want to invite you to come to him afresh and um, just recommit yourself to that breakthrough in health, in wholeness. And so as we're worshipping the Lord today, um, I just, maybe over in, the, in that side there, we could just have some space where we can just pray for people. And um, if uh, some of the life group leaders would be available to help in that. Just to give us opportunity. Let's all respond to the Lord now in our worship. But if you'd like somebody to stand with you, if you'd like to make some really big decisions today, we'd love to be with you in that. We are for you in every way as Jesus is. Thanks for listening today. For more information about Living Rock Church and for more great teaching, visit www.livingrockchurch.org.uk